Grab your popcorn and silence those cell phones because the show is about to start. Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. Rick Blaine is an award-winning film critic featured on TheBigScreen.net.org and has been highlighted on over 75 unreleased independent film posters in less than 12 different countries. Nick Brown. He's been the high school projectionist for the AV Club for over nine semesters and can be heard nightly at the theater talking loudly in the row behind you about the film being screened. And now, they're joining forces. Ladies and gentlemen, Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. We're back around again, and we're glad you are, too. Welcome to Rick and Nick Talk Flicks. I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. Thanks for coming along today as we're ready to dive into post-Oscars discussion a little bit and then our topic for the day today. And we are sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, located on Highway 2, just across from the airport. You can stop on in to catch what is currently out, and they've also got $5 movie nights on Tuesdays with some good deals at the concession stand as well. You can check out as well. It's the Bemidji Theater on Highway 2. Again, just down from the airport is where you can go to catch a movie. As far as movies in theaters, little bit of a quieter stretch right now as far as what's out and what's off to go see or what's really big to go see. Um, a little bit of a quieter spell, but that's, I guess, to be expected at this time of year in February, Dave. Yeah, things pick up a little bit. You've got, not that we had much for rom-coms this year. You had Downhill, which I guess did okay. Um, but things are going to be starting to pick up a little bit here with no Avengers movie. At least we're not going to start the summer box office in March like the last few years, but uh, you know, it ought to be an interesting one, and I think the summer, this summer, we'll get around to previewing that too, but this is looking to be one of those good years at the box office, where there's a couple movies I kind of want to check out. I hope so. I'm hoping it's a good year for it overall, but we're looking back a little bit today too, because the Oscars just yeah. wrapped up the other weekend. A lot and, of surprises. Yeah, a lot of surprises, and in particular, the, the buzz was there, the under-the-radar buzz, was that this Korean movie Parasite was incredibly good. Many people said one of the best of the decade. Well, they think it'll be one of the best of the decade, or even when you go back to the last decade, one of the best that there had been. And that it's a generational movie, that it had some incredible work in terms of the themes, in terms of the acting as well, and it killed it. At the Oscars, winning Best Picture. Bong Joon-ho winning Best Director as well. You could kind of tell as the evening went on, there was some steam growing for Parasite. Um, I mean, people had been excited about it anyway, who were coming there to to the awards show. And then when it got rewarded, people were elated. Well, everyone knew it was most likely it was going to win Best International Feature, formerly known as Foreign Film. But then it won Best Original Screenplay. It won Best Director, whoa, and then it won Best Picture, and people were like, what? And even the director, I mean, after a while, he was like, no, I'm not going to speak anymore. I've already been up here three times. You speak. And I mean, it was- And then he started having fun with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm going to drink till the early morning. Bye. <laughs> would have been fun to try to get him on Good Morning America the next morning. Oh, my morning. goodness. I said I was going to drink all night, and maybe you still want to put me on the air? So, I mean, that was amazing. I've yet to see it. Um, it came out a little while ago in theaters. Some theaters are re-releasing it. I don't know if it'll come back around to Bemidji, but it's also been out for so long that it's already starting to pop up. Amazon Prime does have it. And even if you're not on Amazon okay. Prime, you can go to Amazon and just rent it, you know, a digital rental, so you can see it. But, you know, one of the things I'd said, I, I have no problem with watching foreign language movies, especially if they're good. But the problem is, is that if there's a lot of action, 
that you're reading the movie and you're missing the action. So you almost need to see it twice. Like um, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon is probably the biggest, most well-known foreign movie, foreign language movie that I've seen. And some of the dialogue is when they're you know flying through the air and spinning up on the trees, and you're not seeing it because I'm reading the plot. I kind of want to know what's happening. When I was a little kid, the first time I ever saw the original Godzilla was I was like eight years old. Well, that's in Japanese, and it, they hadn't dubbed it, at least not the version I saw. So you had to read it. Well, when you're reading things like I'm going to the store, those words just kind of pop out at you. But when they're talking about the radiation leak is spiking at reactor 12 and the blah, 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 then you kind of need to read it. And either you're not going to read it and you're going to watch the dinosaur destroy Tokyo or vice versa, so you miss it. So I want to see the movie, but I want to see it with the option to watch it back-to-back against itself yeah. so I can read it and get the plot. Okay, and now I don't have to read it so close the second time. I kind of know where we're going. Now I can watch it happen. That's the only catch with me for, and maybe there's a dub version when you rent it. I don't know. First foreign language film to win Best Picture yeah. as well. A, yeah. a huge, huge milestone for Parasite. I'll, the only thing I'll say to that, Dave, is that we're kind of living in a time where a lot of people watch stuff with subtitles on it, even just English language. Like People are doing a lot of different things while they're binge-watching a show on Netflix or something, and a lot of people use subtitles for, for whatever reason. I, I really don't understand why people use subtitles when they are watching shows on Netflix or things like that. It, English language shows. We, we do and, too because we have a toddler, and I'd like to see what's going on. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> wait, what, buddy? Huh? Wait, I can't hear the show. What? Huh? I am. I am not a subtitles watcher. I. I I'm not really either. I don't really go that route. I. I don't do that like like a lot of other people do. But when it comes to foreign language, that's where it's it's almost a necessity to to be able to keep up and to be able to understand what's going on and to be able to translate everything. And to watch a, a full film of it, like like you said, with Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, we're not quite as used to that. And, and what's the juxtaposition of what's happening on screen to to what is getting translated to us? But it's it's a little bit it's more agreeable, at least in my mind, when it's something like that with a foreign film than just in general. But people are kind of used to it. It feels like a little bit more now than ever. You know, depending on what the situation is, uh, you know, watching a whole movie where there's a lot of action happening is tricky. But when you get to those moments where it's a lot of exposition of as far as what's going on with the plot, whether it's a sci-fi movie and one of the aliens is speaking in a foreign alien tongue and going somewhere solo, you know, you have to read that scene. But yep. it's it's brief and no one's really moving at least until the very end. And Han did shoot first. But you know, in Glorious Bastards, they got the moment where they're all around the table and they got the cards on their head and they're doing the game. But there's not a lot of motion until the very end. It's just Correct. people sitting. So you're not missing anything by reading the titles. It's just a, here's a shot on Michael Fassbender. Now here's a shot on the, this person. You're not missing anything. But when things are people are running through and there's the dinosaur in the background and now they're going to swing across the ravine and and they're talking about large plot exposition, you're missing out. So and that for me is the only thing that catches me up. I've no problem with a foreign language movie, but I can read it or I can watch it, but I can't always do both at the same time. Bottom line, I'm really intrigued to watch the movie yeah. at some point because many people have said it is it it's a terrific dark comedy. It's a biting social satire in particular, 
and that there's quite a twist at the end yeah. that, that comes with it as well. So Don't I'll, get dissuaded from foreign language movies, even though I just yeah. went down a list of why I did, didn't ever say I don't like them. I just well, that's don't. mostly subtitle-based. Yeah. That's the reason, it's, the subtitles. It's finding a way around it. It's difficult for me to do a subtitle movie because I'm missing the action. So and to compensate for it, I'll kind of watch it twice in a row. Or in fairly short span of one another. I'll watch it while reading most of it and missing out on a lot of the stuff. And then I'll go watch it again. Not so much focus on the subtitles, but while all that stuff's fresh in my brain, watch it again. So you need to make sure the kiddo is sleeping and you got a little time. Whatever the case. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Otherwise, uh, technical awards, a lot of technical awards going 1917's way, as expected there. Deservedly. Um, awards were pretty spread out otherwise. Yeah. Um, they're... Ford versus Ferrari got, a, I think, a sound editing award that it got in there, which I was pleased to see. Little Women did well, especially with costume design. Um, set design went to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Um, otherwise, Look at you. This is off the top of your head. I watched the whole show, and I'm like, who won that award? And you're like, oh, he won this one, and this guy won that thing. And Look at you go. The acting awards were spread out across various movies yeah. as well. Um, just I, I don't have those pulled up off the top of my head, but Laura, Laura Dern winning. Yeah. Um, and then it was, who, oh, who won Best Actress? Oh, no. This was. Oh, that was Renee Zellweger. Yeah, Renee For Zellweger. Judy, yeah. That's right. Um, and Grand then, Rapids own. And then Joaquin Phoenix and Brad Pitt both winning as well. Um, for actor and supporting actor, so you know there wasn't like a lot of years. There's always that one movie that's like the darling, and this year wasn't expected. It was almost unexpected with the, with Parasite, but beyond that, it was really kind of scattered around. Quite and I a, liked that, yeah, because there were a lot of good movies. Yeah, it was not even about the movies. It's supposed to be about the thing. You know, Joker was it a good movie? Yeah, it was okay, but it was Joaquin Phoenix that made it, so he won the Oscar for it. Didn't win the rest, you know. That was funny that it was up for best makeup. It's clown makeup, you know. I, I could do that in the back seat of the car, not well, you know. So <laughs> anyway, it's not the same as say Heath Ledger's version, but you know, you gotta right. th- you gotta think now. This is the this is the t- second time now that the same character has won an Oscar. Now Heath Ledger won best supporting actor for The Dark Knight. You had I think Jack Nicholson was up for best actor back in 1989 when he did it. Didn't win it, but he was up for it. Now you have Joaquin Phoenix. You wonder which major heavyweight actor is going to make sure that Joker gets another on-screen appearance soon because that's Oscar gold. Well, unless you're Jared Leto. Yeah, unless you're yeah. That's on the other side of the ledger. You, you still want yeah. people to people still want to do it. People still want to see the character and now it's won two Oscars just for the role. So you wonder if Clint Eastwood is like, oh, I got to do an older Joker movie. I got to get back in the limelight. Come on. <laughs> I'm trying to picture that now. That snarl as he'd bring that to the Joker. He'd be a creepy clown looking so guy. Serious. <laughs> Where's my teeth? <laughs> <laughs> All get right. off my lawn. <laughs> <laughs> well. If he'd be holding a shotgun, I think it would be suitable then. Joker holding a shotgun saying, get off my lawn. That could work. That could work. That could work. Is that uh, not, do I look like I'm laughing? Get off the lawn. I think us trying to make it work in our minds, we should just stop there yeah, we're, and, and got, not try to do that. I think we've crossed a line. All right. Today, we're, we're kind of melding together some topics that we have discussed in the past um, and putting them together as kind of one general talking point today. So we have talked a little bit in the past about remakes. We've also talked in the past about franchises and franchise fatigue. Today we're we're kind of bringing it all together 
and and talking about repackaged items, whether it's repackaged movies, repackaged brands, or repackaged um, general movie entities of, of franchises and, and stories. Reboots, um, remakes, prequels, sequels. When is it just not fresh anymore? Stop recycling this or at least give it a break. Yeah, the idea kind of came along um, the other day when I, I went up to Dave and, I, and we were talking about some new ideas for the podcast. And I was like, Dave, this year we're getting the coming of, of Mulan, live action version of Mulan, which is part of a, a now very recent but not so recent run of Disney movies that have been done in an animated sense and are now getting repackaged in live action, whether it's live action using 3D computer animated graphics like The Jungle Book, which was kind of where this started, Lion and King, The Lion King then last year, Dumbo as well, and then now we're, we're getting this with Mulan. We saw this with Beauty and the Beast as well. Mulan is just the latest in this long run of repackaged Disney products that are going from being in their their cartoon image to being in a different kind of image now. And and Dave was like, well, why don't we why don't we broaden this umbrella a little bit? Why don't we take it out a little bit further then to discuss kind of all of what that looks like? But but that's the idea that came to mind with me because I because as I was thinking about it, I was like, you know, it's interesting that Disney has reached that point now where they they're they're kind of on in a way scrambling for new content, you know, and now they that what they feel is new is old. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you an equation, uh, and we'll take it away from movies to kind of give you an idea of where I'm wary of this. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of Kid Rock when it comes to music. So here's a guy that had had a hit in about 10 years, so he takes two of the greatest guitar songs of all time, <laughs> mashes them together. Well, that'll make me relevant again, but it wasn't original at all. You know, he went to Leonard Skinner, and he went to, um, um, oh, Warren Zavon, and put them together and came up with his own song, and he still hasn't had a hit since then. You know, so that's the problem here. If we don't have a really good idea, well, we'll just kind of put a new paint job on the old barn and we'll present it as new. Sometimes there's a time to do it. Sometimes there's a time not to do it. Sometimes, you know, some things are eternal. Batman is always going to come back around. You know, we're always going to have another version of Batman. They're working on another one right now. And that's one of those things that it's going to be a new idea on an established idea, but it's never going to go away. You and then know, other things, what are you really, doing? Really quick, I I like what you said there because every time that I hear that beginning riff, I wonder, am I listening to um, to Kid Rock or am I listening to Werewolves of London? I refused to play it. I just, I'm sorry, I don't like him. He, this is clearly a grab. And movies that do that same kind of thing, I don't want to see it. You know, if it turns out that, wow, it's really good. And sometimes they can be done really well. When they were redoing the Planet of the Apes movies, I was like, really? And I don't mean the Tim Burton mer- version. I mean the the newest one with Caesar the Ape. I, really? Well, then the word comes out of there. Actually, they're really good. Right. So there was a reason to do it, and it was more of the backstory as to how we got there. And sometimes I'm worried about those, too. I didn't want to see young Hannibal to find out how Hannibal Lecter became the weirdo that he is. Sometimes not knowing is good. But this was an idea that was really well thought. I really want to see this, and I want to see how. And it worked. It re- and, uh, Three movies worth that really worked. It did. So it can be done, but why are we doing it? Yeah, what are we doing here? That's kind of what you got into there a little bit. And 
the why is the biggest thing, isn't it? You you kind of have to assess it, but I think regardless of of how well executed it is, I think the why is always there. It, it's like what's going to be profitable. I think that's where you have to begin, and it, it's unfortunate that it's that cynical, but I think it's it's pretty true. The why is is this profitable? Is this property profitable? Is this story profitable? Are people going to come and are they going to be entertained by this? And is it worth it for our movie company to to put this out? Um, you got to remember, obviously, this is a business. You want to make money. You want to have people come and see the movie. So you want to make some money off of it. So that's obvious. But you can't just do something to do it just to try to make money and let the brand suffer and put out a subpar product. Well, we'll do this and people will go see it. You know, Transformers, when the movie came out, was decent. Then they did Revenge of the Fallen. It was one of the highest grossing movies of the year because people went to see it and only when they were in the theater did they realize this is not a good movie. So And it didn't, didn't help the franchise all yeah. that much. Here's an even better idea. The Terminator franchise. Now, just recently, they put out Terminator Dark Fate, which was actually not that bad of a movie. But the problem was- Despite fears. Yeah, despite fears. But the fears also are translated in every movie that came out after Terminator 2, which is one of the best action movies ever, even still. So all the goodwill that that movie had entailed, they brought a lot of it back with Dark Fate. But that doesn't erase uh, Terminator Salvation. I thought Terminator 3 was okay, but a lot of people kind of, eh. Terminator Genesis, eh. So Terminator Dark Fate, you brought back James Cameron even involved as a producer. You brought back Linda Hamilton, Schwarzenegger's back. It was a pretty decent movie. It's not going to beat T2, but after 15 Terminator movies since T2, you know, now people are like, I, you know, I, my goodwill is wasted. It's gone. People didn't go see the movie. The movie, I think, will find life, kind of like Shawshank Redemption since it's come out. But so many of those movies were made just to make them. Hey, we've got the license. Let's put something out. Let's make something happen. The rights are going to revert on whatever date, so we need to make something now. Yeah, but are you enticed to make a movie to make some money, and that's it? Or do you have a really good story to say, and that's why you want to do it? I can't tell you how many times I have bemoaned The Hobbit uh, on yeah, on this exactly. podcast. I've talked about it before. I know I have of how frustrating that was because what did they want to do? Well, we had the Lord of the Rings trilogy, which we made into three highly successful movies, not only in box office, but also critically acclaimed movies. And now when you look at J.R.R. Tolkien's writings, you've got that. And then you've got this other book, this more more of a children's based book in some respects of The Hobbit, maybe maybe like a, a tweener kind of thing there as far as between adult and children, maybe like young adult kind of read with The Hobbit. But it's a book. And, you ever seen those books on a bookshelf? Right. Lord of the Rings looks like three phone books. And then what's a phone book in 2020? Yes, yes, yes. Yes. It looks like a big encyclopedia. Uh, what's that? Okay, okay, never mind. Bad example. And The Hobbit is one book. I it's think a regular book. But we're going to turn the trilogy into a trilogy. Oh, it makes sense. Have you seen those books? They're huge. We're going to turn The Hobbit into, into a, trilogy. a trilogy. Wait, what? How much water are you going to pour into that brew to water exactly. it out enough to be... I mean, it's just. And then it's like, well, no, we're pulling from other materials. We're pulling from some of the other things that Tolkien had used to create the world. Okay, you still don't need three movies to tell the story of one book. Two movies would have been all right. I think that would have been all right if you want to fill in the details around it. Three? Now we're talking about the fact that, okay, 
getting back to that whole idea. Maybe it is a little bit cynical. Maybe it's pretty true in a case like this one where I think the money trail, the money trail was too good to pass up. It was going to the realm of the Irishman. Let's pare it down, boys. Pare it down. Exactly. So you run into examples like that, but here's here's the big underlying point that I think is going to show through as we talk about this is that the content that's generated and the quality of that content that's what matters here if if you are repackaging if you are repackaging movie content in any way it's got to be a story that is compelling it's got to be something that stands on its own very well and has has some thought behind it that's that's the key that's what keeps anything going you gave a great example dave when we were getting ready for this about the fast and the furious and how the opening three movies, they were a little bit aimless. Um, entertaining, no doubt. And and for people who like cars, very entertaining. But by the time Tokyo Drift rolled around, although there are some very appreciative qualities in there for people of, you know, hey, this, was, this had some entertainment factor. Bottom line still, though, was where's this going? This this doesn't seem like it has a rudder here. It, a lot of those first movies, and I'm not going to bash the franchise. There's a lot of fans of it. Obviously, they've got nine movies now out. They were just kind of fun. They were fun, but they were in a lot of ways kind of hollow. You know, they weren't yes. great for the review. Uh, there's a lot of car racing and some flashy editing and camera work. Good for and, TV. Yeah, but the ho- but the hollow as far as the story. What's the story really about? Yeah. Well, just you know, they're going to have a race. But then. But then, after Tokyo Drift, you're like, well, this is this has gone on too far. Then they kind of found their footing. And all of a sudden, Fast and the Furious took on life. And it actually had a plot and a story and some crazy visuals. But it was good for the review. And all and of a sudden... Coronas. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, <laughs> it's kind of a fun show to watch. Yeah. And it kind of went the same way that the Mission Impossible movies went. Once you get to the third one, all of a sudden, hey, now we're making these... To clearly make a Mission Impossible movie. Well, I'd say Fast and the Furious has drifted more into Jump the Shark territory I have than, a feeling, fa- than, than uh, Mission Impossible has. I have a feeling watching the trailer and they got the thing, the grappling hook tied to the tire and they're going to swing over a ravine. The theater I was in, oh man. <laughs> and it wasn't like, wow. I have a feeling they have literally swung over the shark with a grappling yeah. hook. Yeah. They, but they, time will tell. But see, that's, that's kind of a difference. When... It, Let's look side by side at those two franchises that we just mentioned. Fast and the Furious, they started out with with some pretty cool car stuff. Remember, these were car movies. But remember, these we started have to, out as car movies. We have to differentiate between what is a movie, what's a film, what is cinema, and what is a YouTube channel. You can get a YouTube channel with people with their GoPros that know how to edit, that have some good availability to hang out of one car and get a shot of the next car zooming yep. by. And what is enough to have just the most barest plot? It's car porn. It just at some point it gets to the point where is this worth making a big screen adaptation of it? Well, not only that, but they've drifted into a lot of CGI based stuff, which I think has undermined yeah. some of their their stunting as well as some of just some of the the reasonableness of it. It's not realistic. You couldn't make that jump from this building to that building. Just even I'm not a physicist, but I can tell with my eyes, a that's not a real car. B there's no way that that could be successful, and it just it take once you realize that that's is all fake and the trickery is aware, you may as well have the guy holding the boom mic clearly visible, right? Holding the boom, it takes you out of the movie. Whereas with Mission Impossible, and 
I think of the recent James Bond movies with this as a good example. They have shuttered aside the idea of using a lot of CGI only when necessary. They, they've kind of put that aside and said, let's do some really good stunt work. Let's do some really good cinematography. Let's make let's uh, let's take the action realm and let's get back to good old fashioned action shooting of movies using the new technology that we've got in order to be able to shoot some great action sequences. It's given a completely new lease on life to the Mission Impossible movies, not not to mention really good well-crafted stories and and plot twists. And same with the James Bond movies, really good shooting and then trying to although they they're contending with how much do we want to repackage old storylines like Blofeld and his and the return of Spectre, Inspector, things like that, but but especially with Mission Impossible, yeah, making sure that you do what you do really well and you don't just sell it short with let's just fall back on CGI. Yeah, well, here's a good example just looking at James Bond of, you know, are we going to do this to do this or do we have a really good idea to do it? The last Pierce Brosnan movie, Die Another Day, uh, there's one sequence in particular, the tidal wave scene. If you know the movie, then you know what we're talking about. Where, why would you do that? A, it looks really fake. B, it doesn't really matter. And C, it's just spectacle for spectacle's sake yep. and carries nothing. You had the next movie, which was Daniel Craig's first, Casino Royale. Yes, there's visual effects in it, but it's it's so much more low-tech when you compare the visuals and even Bond's gadgets alone. Think about the free-running sequence oh, yeah. in Madagascar and how incredible that was. That was amazing. Yep. And, I mean, I, the, this is the first sequence of the movie after the title sequence, and everybody, including me, the jaws are just dropped. I had a girlfriend at the time that had never seen a Bond movie, and I took her to see it, and she was like, I don't know. And then we get to that scene, she's like, wow. This is, I love that movie. And then she left me for Daniel Craig. But that's another story. <laughs> but uh, that, but the, the idea between both of those movies, Die Another Day versus Casino Royale, you had one that was all about spectacle and very low on substance. You had another one that was very low on the spectacle, I guess. You, you know, I can't even say that, but it was done in a way that was more realistic because that free-running scene is definitely spectacle. But it was something to the plot, and it worked, and it was done real time. Well, think about what was at the center of that movie. A card game. Yeah. A card game is at the center of that, and yet you didn't feel as though that slowed things down too much. It was a good change of pace, and yet the tension was still there within that card game of Ken Bond beat Lashif. But you've had enough action built around it otherwise with Bond foiling a couple of terror plots and then all that happens at the end of the movie, too, that it worked then. So let's talk about those larger franchises, James Bond and Batman and Superman and you know probably Star Wars. Some, at some point, a lot of uh, movies become franchises, become something larger than that. They will all, I mean, Batman just started as a comic in the 30s. And it's evolved into something else from, you know, from comic books to graphic novels to the small screen with Burt Ward and Adam West and, and cartoon versions, big screen versions. Batman is always going to be around. And when, you know, when Tim Burton is done and Joel Schumacher are done and they've killed the franchise, Christopher Nolan, somebody's going to come along and revitalize it in a completely different way. And then DC is going to tear it apart with Batman versus Superman. And the word remains to be seen how Robert Pattinson's going to do. They got the first view 
of what he's going to look like looks like a much more practical utilitarian, I guess, is the term you could use, Batman, where it looks like he put it together in his garage rather than molded rubber or whatever. But hmm. we've, we've only barely got to see him. So it remains to be seen. And when this movie does well, there will either be a sequel until it dies or it will be a bad movie and it will be done. But then years down the road, it will come again. Um, so there is that element to it. So why do we pick it up and do it? Why do we make more? Are we doing it? just to make more or are we doing this because we really want to well a really good story here by comparison to repackaging like a, a simple reboot or or something like what disney has done with their live action movies from the cartoons what is available within a franchise like batman or just any other comic book hero is that there is there's an almost an open canvas from what has come previously on the pages of comic books because a lot of these stories you know Marvel is, has done this as well um, DC has done this to an extent a lot of these stories have their roots in inspiration from the comics themselves and some of the storylines that have come from the comics because with comic books, there is there is almost an endless array of stories to pull from to be able to use as inspiration to create what could become either another repackaging, a repackaging of that story directly, or it could be something that fuels a completely new creation. I think of The Dark Knight in that regard. The Dark Knight took some, some inspiration from some previous... Uh, storylines involving Batman, involving Harvey Dent, and involving the Joker. But this was a completely new story. This was something completely different that that Christopher Nolan came up with for it that ended up working. So it, it comes down to how well is this translating onto the screen, but you can as loosely or as closely as you want to tie it into the the original story that had come prior to it and you've got a lot of of material and canvas to be able to pull from and to use as either inspiration or directly translating you know one of my moments of wariness when the red flag pops up so we're going to remake let's go to disney to start we're going to redo beauty and the beast the beauty of the beast is a story that isn't necessarily just disney it goes way back they've done this has been an old you know grim fairy tale they did the cartoon version in like 93 or whatever year that was and it was a great one it's one of disney's it's up there with snow white and you know those some of the greatest of all times they make it into a live action movie and it really does surprisingly well people really really liked it it didn't lose any steam now within one year we're going to have what three or four of the pretty much the same thing dumbo lion king so on and we're not done yet and so is this a cash grab is this an idea to, hey, this really worked. Maybe you dole them out every so often. You know, well, maybe we'll remake them all at some point. We'll get around to that. And they're still talking about rehashing a lot of that stuff. Haven't you heard, though, Dave? Everyone's in such a big old hurry these days. Yeah, evidently. But this, it seems to me like more of a cash grab idea. Well, this we, the, people went and saw that. We'll, we'll give them more that they'll go see just for the money. And a lot, not any one of them really got amazingly good reviews. Not, I mean, The Lion King is one of the best animated movies probably ever. And while this is not a shot for shot, it just it didn't 
quite have the magic there. You know, no disregard to John Favreau who directed it, but he well, just, they went almost under a mandate. Yeah, they went almost completely off of the original of of just we're going to duplicate everything. Yeah, Elton John's back, and so you look at bigger, bigger properties. You look at say Marvel Cinematic Universe. They kind of tested the waters. Well, here's something where let's just do this. And they started with a Hulk, and then you had Iron Man, and they're like, you know what, we really could do here. And they started to really start to weave it together. But in some places where they pushed it, it didn't work so well. Iron Man 2 comes to mind. Not that it's a bad movie, but it didn't quite have what was coming before. Then they really got it together. Kevin Feige really came up with, oh, this is how we're going to do this. And from there on out, they were good. They really all were good. And it was all telling to different facets one giant story, in a way, that needed to have this ginormous canvas. So what do other people do? Well, we want to do that too. Why? Because you really want to do something like that or because you think the box office is going to kill it? Case in point, Universal Monsters. They were going to make this big, expanded, oh, dark man. universe. Yep. So they weren't inspired at all. They were going to determine to get the mummy and Dracula and the Invisible Man. And they actually got so far as to launch with the mummy, the Tom Cruise version here. And it was, by all accounts, a horrible movie that was much more interested in how are we going to connect this to the ones that are going to come. No, 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 no. Make a good movie. Then make another good movie. And maybe there's some connective tissue at some point that maybe you do a monster movie that would be like the fifth or sixth one out that starts to pull on those threads and pull them all together. So the first movie, six movies ago, starts to kind of circle back around. Oh, I see. Get creative with that one yeah know where you're going but they did it for a cash grab now they've got another one of those attempts coming out here pretty quick the invisible man but it is not going to be to my knowledge part of some dark universe maybe that'll evolve but this one has got some real legitimate you know what we could do here oh, psychological know, horror yes but also tied into current events they've pulled this into like the me too movement where the invisible man isn't some mad scientist that you know went too far but it also kind of is. You know, the idea with this one, and this one really could be good, is you've got this nut scientist ex-boyfriend who says, I'll give you a million dollars if you can spend a week in my house and not be certifiable insane. But he's killed himself. Or did he really kill himself? He's really maybe the invisible man slowly and undetectably going to you know drive this woman mad in the house where no one's going to believe, no, no, he's dead. He's not around. No, he really is. He's still here. Right, it's, and it looks like it, either this is going to be really dumb or it's going to be really, really good. And I'm kind of thinking it might be the latter. So, could this connect to something? Could you do something like that with other properties, and then maybe, if you want to, find a way to connect them all? Maybe it's more important to have a really good idea rather than to some grand plan to make some money. I think you nailed it there, Dave. Rick well, that's the podcast. Thanks, everybody. Yeah, Rick and Nick Talk Flex is sponsored by the Bemidji Theater, by the way. I think you nailed it, and I want to make a TV comparison because you and I did discuss that beforehand. We were like, you know, there's a good chance we're going to we're going to drift into talking about TV You'd a little to. bit here. Yeah, because it the same idea applies. My favorite show that's on TV right now is Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul is a prequel spinoff of Breaking Bad, which had come just a couple of years ago, um, and it's a prequel. Focusing in on, primarily, two characters from the Breaking Bad series. Um, the one at the center of it, who's the, the titler character, Saul Goodman, previously Jimmy McGill, as well as hitman Mike Ehrmantraut. Well, you start with them, and for fans of Breaking Bad, 
what's nice about it for them is that you get all these great Easter eggs along the way that get that get woven into the fabric of the story. You get characters, you get storylines, you get ideas that get woven in that help to lead into Breaking Bad. What's great about Better Call Saul, though, is that if you were to watch it on its own, without having watched Breaking Bad, you could watch it and appreciate the movie because it is, uh, sorry, the, the, the show. show, because it is its own entirely different entity as far as story, as far as many characters who appear in there who are separate from the Breaking Bad series, and a completely different kind of vibe as well. This is not Mr. Chips turning into Scarface. This is something else. This is something different. And yet it still has threads of the show that spawned it that come through it, all while being masterfully shot, tremendously written, and with very compelling people playing these roles who are very good at what they do and who are given a great lead with the writing that comes with it. It's a great way of of how to, like you were talking about there earlier, be able to thread in some ideas that that tie things together to the greater universe, but at the same time have a completely separate story that is allowed to function and breathe on its own to the point where many are saying that it's an even better show than Breaking Bad, which is already regarded as one of the finest shows of the last 20 years. Spinoffs and dipping back into previously existing wells is not a death sentence. I mean, if we just talk TV here for just a second, for every Frasier that spun off of Cheers, there is a Joni Loves Chachi that spun off of Happy Days that itself spun off of American Graffiti. Sometimes the reason that we dip into those ponds is just scratching your head, what? And then you get a great surprise. When they were done doing Hawaii Five O, and I mean the original 1970s Hawaii Five O. They didn't want to lose their production offices in Hawaii. So, well, we got to come up with another show set in Hawaii, hence Magnum P.I. Was that a bad move? Was it a bad show? No. In fact, it's one of my favorite shows. It's a great show. And funny enough, now both of those shows have been remade and they're still being made, but I would argue they don't quite hold a candle to the original at all. You know, even Magnum P.I., it made Tom Selleck's career. So now you've got another version of the show. It's kind of down to spin on things, but not really. But one of the things that made that show really kind of good that reached in deeper it was a part of the time that hasn't necessarily translated to today's version of the show. Well, TV is dealing with a, a non-syndicated bit of nostalgia these days. Why not just let, enjoy the syndication? Well, and not even just the syndication, but you know, you can make those things speak to the now. One of the things with Magnum P.I. wasn't that they were bottle episodes, but Magnum and his buddies were all war veterans from Vietnam. You know, the movie, the show started in 1980, five years after Vietnam officially ended, and you know, a little longer after that since we pulled out of the war. But post-traumatic stress was something that people weren't really talking about, and this was one of the first shows to really deal with it in a realistic light, in a sympathetic light. Well, we're still officially or unofficially, I'm not really sure these days, involved in two wars and uh, Afghanistan and Iraq. And so now you've got Magnum back on the big screen. It's, okay, so you updated a little bit. We'll make these guys you know, part of those wars. But are they really dealing with it in a way that is, you know, constructive is not the right word, but it's, it's an element from the first show that just hasn't really, maybe as a token, has carried over, but not really. And a lot of those original episodes, definitely dealt with the follow-up of that 
And actual real veterans were like, hey, we really appreciate what you're doing with this show. Right. Not only is it a good show, we appreciate how we are being perceived five years after being spit at in airports. You know, What are we consistently revolving around here? The idea that to repackage in some way, whether it's a remake or a reboot or a sequel, is not necessarily a bad thing. If the execution of it is done in a way that allows it to be a successful entity in its own right, or that allows for it to be done maybe in a, in a way that's different. Think about A Star is Born. A Star is Born has been made into four different movies when you think back on it all. There was the 30s version, the 50s version, the 70s, and now we've had the most recent one with Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. It could be argued three out of those four were very well received critically how is that possible within a a property that has been repeated over and over again because each one had a different way of doing it the general story remained the same the general elements of the story remain the same across all movies each movie just found a way to do it differently and some more successfully than others as far as how that translated onto the screen. But what did they focus on? The music. In, in particular, this newest one. This newest one focused on the music and doing the music really well and allowing for that to feed into the drama of the story as well and the emotions that came with the story then too. There's got to be a, a fingerprint on what makes these these properties work in the way that we're talking about. I think there comes a point where you look at something like A Star is Born, there's four versions of it now. You look at The Wizard of Oz. Now, The Wizard of Oz didn't start as the movie. There's books about this, The Land of Oz by Baum. And the 1938, 39, was I think when that movie came out? That version was right done then, so yep. well that... Why would you try to top that? But that's not to say that every in any small town in America you could find a school that's doing a school play of The Wizard of Oz. So there's still new versions of that material happening that we've all seen. But would you ever accept another big screen version of The Wizard of Oz? You can't top the original. If you did it so well, leave it alone. But there's more books out there. And so a couple of years ago we had Oz the Great and Powerful. It's based on another one of the books. It's not redoing The Wizard of Oz. There's more than one book. So they they did that. Okay, back in the 80s, they did Return to Oz, which was sort of a sequel that was not based on the books, but was actually kind of terrifying. <laughs> but it, but it, <laughs> I've heard stories about Return to Oz. But it's it's a good show, and it's it was really good. We actually watched that at our house a couple years ago. I, was like, I don't remember it being this dark, but yeah, this is terrifying. And uh, But it was good. And so if you can make a movie that is based on something else, whether it's a sequel to or a remake of something or whatever, can you answer the question, why are we doing this? Well, uh, uh, then you don't need to make the movie. Oh, you know, James Cameron wrote the sequel to Alien, a great movie in its own right, by the way. Well, what if... And then, and he came up with a story that, uh, it, depending on the day, I don't know which of those movies is better, Alien or Aliens, which is the sequel, Alien Two, you could call it. Yeah, Aliens is a hell of a good movie, and they're very different from one another. That's and, but, that's how I feel about Creed. I was yeah. I was uncertain how Creed was going to go when the idea came up. I I did like the idea, son of Apollo Creed. Wait a minute, he's going to be trained by Rocky himself. Like it sounded good. 
And then and then the trailer dropped, and the trailer was Ooh. oh my word! This and the, is this and the is sequel wrote it. See. The sequel wrote itself. It you, did. You, you yeah. have to have the follow up. But now, and you know, I put I put Creed up against even the original Rocky. It was that good. Yeah, it was ju- it was that good. But it's, it's a similar thumbprint to use your analogy. But so, will they get around to a Creed three? There's talk that yes, they probably will. Are you going to bring back other opponents? Are we going to have the son of Clubber Lang come back? Are we going to have the son of Tommy Gunn or try to make some sort of a connection? Or can you go somewhere new? Can you? It? I think at this point you have to, because all the old blood is done. You know, so you need to go in some other direction. Yes, you can certainly keep it in the ring, but some of those Rocky movies, especially the latter ones, he's not in the ring at all. Rocky Five, not that it was the best movie from the bunch, he didn't sit in oh, the ring gosh. at all in that movie. Bar oh. fight, street fight, yeah, yeah, but it was. Can it, we just pretend like Rocky Five never happened? Yeah, wasn't it wasn't very good. It went the same way of uh, Tom. Was not Tommy Morrison? What was the guy that actually played him in real life? Tommy Morrison. Yeah, yeah. Did not it did not end well. Tommy Gunn. Yeah. So it was uh it was so where are you gonna go with Rocky with, with Creed three? You know, so when they finally come up with it, we're gonna do another Creed movie. Okay, why? Answer why? answer the question. Now I'm not saying that there's no reason to do one. I think if you do it right, absolutely. Nothing wrong with sequels. So long as there's a reason to do them. If they could get Ryan Coogler involved again, oh, that'd be ideal. Maybe the next version isn't just about, well, maybe he tries MMA. Uh, yeah, but we're talking about the characters. That's a gimmick. That's a MacGuffin. You know, that's part of it. But if you can give me a good reason, I mean, he's got the he's got a hearing impaired wife and a kiddo with some issues and his own struggles in life. That's where the story needs to be. That's why Adrian doesn't show up in any more of those movies. Now, the actress, Talia Shire, she's alive and well. But when he was making, I think it was Rocky Balboa, the sixth one, where Adrian is gone, Rocky has to turn the corner now. Adrian has been his rock, and now he's rockless. And as the story goes, Stallone called her up and said, look, we're doing another Rocky movie, but you're not in it. But even though you're not in it, you're very much at the heart of it. It made sense for the character, and evidently she's like, yeah, I got it, no problem. You know, I understand, that That makes sense. So I think she went to the premiere and liked it. You oh, know? wow. So Adrian okay. was at the premiere, but isn't in the movie. And uh, But that made sense. You know, So there was a reason why Rocky kind of continued. Will, will Creed three do the same? Will any sequel or remake or reboot do the same? Yeah, we've asked that question before in in all of these others, whether it's um, talking about franchises, talking about remakes. The why is always at the heart of it, and that's the question that needs to be answered for, for I think, for good movie consumers who, who are trying to figure out, is this worth going to, for critics, they're asking that same question, you know. Um, you can you can rip on the Rotten Tomatoes scale if you want, but sometimes there's a pretty good. If critics are not responding well to it, there's a reason why. It's because there's not there's not a whole lot of new that's under the sun here. If you are if you are doing this and repackaging this as well, which is why again getting back to kind of where the genesis of this whole thing began. It's, it's why it's interesting to watch Disney try to navigate through its cartoon properties because it, it makes you wonder are they are they losing the are they losing new ideas are they losing out on new ideas and new places to go for content so much so that they've decided we're going to go back and repackage what's been done in the cartoon version and bring it to life so now here's the double-edged sword here's the real razor thin line that you got to walk. You want to come up with new ideas, you want to come up with new concepts, especially if you're dipping into familiar territory. 
But you can't stray all that far from the source material. And one of the things you and I have touched base on a little bit was Mission Impossible. You're a big fan of the multiple TV series that have been around. Even the 80s remake series, pretty good. Mostly the original series. Mostly the original, yeah, 60s and 70s. But then you get into when they made the big screen adaption in 95, 96 with Tom Cruise. It wasn't a bad movie, but it wasn't Mission Impossible. Mission Impossible 2 is a shoot 'em up blow 'em up movie, but it's not a Mission Impossible movie. And I know you haven't seen him because you've heard about him. Oh, I, but, but then, I know the original cast of the TV show, they were not happy yeah. with that big screen version of it because of the way that it undermined the original IMF, yeah. especially um, Peter Graves' character, Jim Phelps. But Mission Impossible, at its heart, is about not who has the most bullets and the biggest explosions. It's about outsmarting the bad guys. And if you do your yep. job right, they have no idea what happened. For the, if it's like you ever watch the movie The Sting, it's kind of like that. you got to yes. outsmart them. When J.J. Abrams came on board as a producer and a director with Mission Impossible 3, he got it. And Mission Impossible, yes, while it is a breathless, fast-paced action, there are explosions that... But he got the theme right, and he got the ideas right. So he didn't stray so far from the source material. He got it right. Now there's examples where it's not done so well. And I'm a big Star Trek fan, and we talked a little bit about this. Now you got these new shows. you got Star Trek Discovery. You have Star Trek Picard that's now going. That in a lot of ways are straying a little bit too far from the formula. And some of it in just its visual aesthetics. Well, why is that? Well, we've already talked about this. A little bit, so I'm not going to go and rehash things, but long story short, Paramount and Viacom split. Well, now they're back together, which is good. But you've got two different versions of Star Trek. You have the Prime, and then you have this alternate universe. But it turns out the ultimate universe is an ultimate license. So it can't be exactly the same. It has to be different. But it's gotten, in some ways, so different that fans are starting to revolt a little bit, saying, nope, 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 this doesn't quite fit with what has come before. You can retcon to a point and change what has come before to make it fit in the now. But if you really need to bend and shape it that much, then you're out of line with the original. You need to you need to reposition what you're trying to do to attach to the new thing. You don't build an Art Deco house and then do a rambling California ranch on the backside. <laughs> it needs to fit. Right. You know, architecturally, it doesn't work. It looks like, if you know what the Winchester house is out in Oakland, California, go Google that. That's a really interesting construction that makes no rhyme or reason on the inside at all. Doors that go nowhere, stairways that go into the ceiling with no way out, rooms that have no doors to get into them. It doesn't make sense. It's part of a larger umbrella that's great, but you need to do this right. You need to be faithful to the fans while not just rehashing the same thing. Same themes, same ideas, same goals, different stories, but you need to be truthful to the original source. <laughs> Boy, this looks like where they would set something like Knives Out 2. They're talking about it. Actually, they're Really? Co- yeah. Are they? But I think, and I don't know if this is the, going to be the case, but I saw, I don't know if this is a joke or if this is for real. The sequel will be called Knives In, I-N-N, like a hotel. Ha ha ha. Clever. Can I we- know they were asking about uh, movie titles and yeah. things like that. There's another great example, a, a modern example, where... Again, think back to what we talked about about the the finances and about, hey, is this going to be profitable? Well, Knives Out, extremely profitable, very well liked, and now we're getting a sequel but as a result. E- but, but even but, that but can, was, can they come up with the new idea? Even that was based off of a very tried and true idea that maybe at one point in the past went its course. Agatha Christie. 
You know, and you could see all kinds of odes to Agatha Christie. Murder, she wrote, is clearly Agatha Christie-esque. A lot of shows have followed in that vein. And so now you had Ryan Johnson after he messed up Star Wars, and I do believe that that's what happened. Got a, a good original idea to do it his own Agatha Christie-esque and nailed it. He did. You know, but even just before that movie came out, Murder on the Orient Express came out, which is an Agatha Christie story, and it was remade in fairly successful. I think my, Knives Out did it better, and now can we do it again? Of course you can. Agatha Christie novels, there's a hundred of those, and nine million, you know, movies that were inspired by that and shows inspired by that. Can you do another one? You if, better believe it. If this was a donut hole within a donut hole, though, Ooh. how do you go a step further a donut hole within a donut hole within a donut hole this is this is becoming like the inception of donut holes and um mystery stories well you know remember now we're talking about an <laughs> estranged family and the patriarch who's got all the money dies well somebody probably offed him to get the money he's not going to die again so can you have the same family aka the same cast come back or do you just have a similar theme and try to do something where knives in, knives out, knives blah blah blah, where it's a different cast every time, different family, similar kind of story, but a different who done it. Would that work? That's why I like anthology series or or stories that have that stand on their own. You know, I never watched it. I've only ever seen clips of it, and that's it. But going into the TV realm. That's why a show like True Detective really was very interesting. I mean, I I know it's had a very checkered last couple of years that that it's been around, but that show was very interesting to me. Every year different story, every season different story. Same with The Wire. The Wire went into a different portion of Baltimore. And again, a show I I've never seen, but only seen clips of, but heard so much about. Different season, different element of Baltimore. That they would unpack it, unpackage every year, um, and unpack every year and go through. I mean, the same idea applies. I, I think that's where you can get if you want to under under an umbrella do a different kind of story. Something like that makes that work, and I, I find shows like that to be very compelling because what stays fresh, there's originality each time. There's something different each time. That's the challenge for for movies today is what can we bring to the table that is going to be fresh while at the same time there there's this entrancement that exists of because people have seen this before we need to make sure to have it threaded in some way shape or form well what if you come up with something that's new and really good that people come to see if you build it they will come even if it is original yeah, you you know look at and I think anthologies are a very good way to go. The Twilight Zone is a great example. Yeah, you got the original version. There's been how many versions of the Twilight Zone have there been? And now you've got the one on CBS All Access with Jordan Peele. But even within that, one of my favorite episodes of all time was Terror at Thirty Thousand Feet with yeah. William Shatner. And then they did that in the movie with John Lithgow, which was not shot for shot, but it was very very much a love letter to that show, and I think they mastered it with that one. That's legitimately terrifying. And then they redid it again with the Jordan Peele version, but it is not anything like the original at all. It's more where it's not a monster on the wing. Now it's a terrorist on the airplane. So it's it's got connective tissue, but it's not the same thing. And I actually watched that one, and I was kind of disappointed by it because I was waiting to see, mm. if you're going to redo it, let's redo it. But if you're going to do a different version, but it also takes place on an airplane, 
then make it a different episode. You know, there's how many episodes take place in a house, but they're not all the same story. You can do different episodes on a house. So is the quote-unquote narrator of this episode, is he deranged or is he trying to save the plane? So there's connective tissue, but it is so far removed that you can't really call it a, a modern update because it is then, nothing like the Then original. that sounds like an execution problem. It's an then. execution thing. But even now, I just found out yesterday, I just saw the trailer for a new reboot, reboot. Amazing Stories is coming back. Now, if you remember this, was from the 80s. You, you look at your face, you don't know Amazing Stories. No, sorry. Amazing Stories was uh, a love letter by Spielberg who produced and directed a few episodes from pulp comic book episodes of you know amazing tales and made a two-season run of it in the 80s all the who's who in hollywood were happy to be in episodes of this and it oh it was great and then some of them are very reality based like for one of them i remember it was fun it was a christmas episode where one guy was a sheriff and he was a disgruntled little kid who only wanted for Christmas, 1950-whatever, was a special so-and-so Space Ranger ray gun, and he never got it, and he held a grudge against Santa all these years. And so now he's like the Grinch who runs his town. He's a cranky old man. But then he cites, what's that on the roof? Is that Santa? And he finally gets his ray gun from Santa Claus, and he finally, his heart melts. and Sounds Twilight Zone-esque. But then there's stuff that's crazy, like Christopher Lloyd loses his head and is a headless horseman kind of guy, teacher so i mean it's not necessarily based it's not necessarily based in reality it's not necessarily twilight zone it's it's just fun this is really kind of a cool pulpy show and now it's coming back uh i think it's like an uh apple tv or amazon tv some one of those streamers so amazing stories only went for two years they didn't run it out of the ground spielberg just wanted to do other things and said two years that's good we're done you know, Sounds like the Alfred Hitchcock hour. Yeah, a little bit. So now he's back producing it. I don't know if he'll direct an episode, maybe. Um, so what will happen with this? This could be a good thing. I loved Amazing Stories, so now that's coming back. But other things, if you're going to pick up a property and an actual story, if you can't answer the question, why? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this? Why are we doing this again? Why are we going to do a prequel to a story I don't want to know how Norman Bates became Norman Bates. I just know that he's a creepy guy. We know you get the mom thing. Okay, we got it. Let's move on. But why do a shot-for-shot shot remake with Vince Vaughn? <laughs> I knew you were going there. Why yep. go there? And not even that. You know where they built the the Psycho House, which still stands on the Universal backlot, the, yeah. ori- the original one. It's been moved around a little bit, but that's the same one that was in those movies. When they did the remake, you know where they built the Psycho House, the facade? Directly in front of the Psycho House. My word. Why? Why? Why not just use the Psycho House? Everyone right. knows that everyone's expecting it, but no. But you put it like a, like a shell over a shell. It just, it just, why? If you can't answer that question to a point where I'm not going to roll my eyes, stop the cameras. Everybody, we're shutting this down. Come up with a better idea. Let's do Psycho 5. You know, even though Anthony Perkins is not around, but his son is. It's kind of interesting. I can answer why when it's a bad property, even when it's a good property. But look at to quote SpongeBob SquarePants and Mr. Krabs, the money is always right. Yeah, but but can you do it for a legitimate reason? So now they bring Psycho back into the Norman into uh, the Bates Motel series. It was a limited series. They rebuilt the house almost exactly, but they actually moved it to I think it was Vancouver. They shot it, but it looked just like the one on the Universal lot. But they didn't film it there, and it was a story that was almost a retelling of the back story of Norman. But in a very different way, and it was legitimately done, and this is a good story. It wasn't about 
at least not initially, about Norman and Mother in the hotel. It got to that point, but it was all about the goings-on in this town. There's there's drug fields in the background. There's another long-lost brother that comes in. It turned into something very different, but it was very faithful to the source material at the Sounds same like time. Sounds like Hannibal the TV show a little bit A little as bit, well. but yeah. that one also worked out well. Young Hannibal, not so much. Psycho 4, there was one of those. It was a cable TV movie, but it wasn't bad, but not great. But the TV shows were much thicker, much more layered. They worked really well. Yeah. Can you answer the question, why? That is the big thing that needs answered with all of these properties, the why. And then the other part of it, too, is the how and how it's getting executed and how it's coming across. But, again, it's okay to have a franchise. It's okay to have a sequel. It's okay to do a reboot. It's okay to do those things because you can still be original within them. You can still be creative within them. If you're just repackaging the same thing, it might not go over quite as well. But if you are able to come up with something new, something different with it, you can take what has been done before and you can make something entirely new out of it. And that's part of the fun of some of these movies. That's part of the fun of some of these remakes is seeing what do they do different? How is it different this time? And is it well made? Can you tell? Is is this crafted? Is this put together really well? Well, great example, Spider-Man. I mean, how many versions have there been? And then Sam Raimi got a hold of it, Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst. Those first two in particular were really good. The third one, you could tell they were running out of steam at that point. Well, you've got to strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, but it ain't all they that hot. They put too many irons in the fire. Well, there's a lot of talk about studio interference. We need to do this, we need to do that. Sam Raimi had a different idea. He had even had an idea for Spider-Man 4 that never really happened. Mm. Well, then, that iteration is done. They go back and they do the amazing Spider-Man. And the first one, in a way... Pretty much just retold the Tobey Maguire movie. Not in, not exactly, but it was essentially very, very similar. Way too much connective tissue. Wait a minute. Didn't I just see that movie like 10 years ago in the theater? Why am I doing this? And so The Amazing Spider-Man and number two, they didn't work well. They were just done to be done. Then Marvel picks it up, and they do their thing. And now they're connected to the MCU. But uh, wait, now there's this one into the Spider-Verse which was not connected to any of it, where there was like 900 Spider-Men yep. and Spider-Women, but they had a really good idea. Let's do this. Let's not connect it. Let's just do this thing. And people loved and it. And they loved it. It yeah. went down as one of the better animated movies you'd seen in a long, long time. Somebody had a really good idea and said, let's do this. Let's keep it separate from the other thing. Let's do that. But this is its own thing. Maybe yep. it'll be a one-off. Maybe we'll do a sequel. Who knows? Um, but it was that was what we're talking about. When you're doing The Amazing Spider-Man, you have to ask the question, why? And you don't get a good answer, so don't do it. Let's do the Marvel, let's do the End of the Spider-Verse, but why? Oh, because of, oh, you know what? You're on to something. Go, go forth, my son, and make it happen. When we cross paths, Dave and I, we often are telling each other, you know, give me something original. What's looking original in the movies? That's one of the biggest things that that this comes down to, originality. And that's that's one of the things where I think, you know, you've got movies like back to where we started this podcast, you get uh, Parasite, a very original idea, speaks to issues now in cultural class warfare, so to speak, is kind of at the heart of that movie. Yeah. And so it speaks to the now, it's original, it's well done, it's in Korean, but it doesn't seem to matter. So if you have a good story, hopefully people will go see it. Maybe people didn't flock to it because they didn't want to read Korean subtitles or English subtitles from Korean dialogue. 
didn't matter. One best picture, one best director. I mean, it, clearly it's got its merits. Go see it. Go read it and then see it. <laughs> and uh, and make it work. And so when those movies come out that you want to see that are made for legitimate reasons, honor them by going to see them. That's right. And that's what we encourage. And that's why we encourage you to go to the Bemidji Theater, which is our sponsor for the Rick and Nick Talk Flicks podcast located on Highway 2, just down from the airport here in Bemidji. Don't forget they've got $5 movie nights on Tuesdays. College student, nights on Thursday no, or student, student night. night on Thursday. That includes yes. faculty. And if you're, you know, if you're in your fifties and you're going back to school for something, that means you too. Perfect. Come in, come in with your valid ID and six dollar tickets. Excellent. Very good. Uh, hopefully, we keep this show fairly original. That's the goal, anyway. Well, we're talking about other people's ideas and our thoughts on their thoughts. So, how original can we be? I don't know. I'd say we have some originality, <laughs> at least in how we discuss it. I would hope, anyway. We didn't have food. I mean, every time you go sit and talk a movie, it's after you just saw the movie. You go to like, Perkins or something, get a burger and a malt. We should do those, even though we record this in the morning. Ooh, that makes me hungry for breakfast. Donuts and coffee? Right now. Well, <laughs> I'm going to have to scrounge it's, around oh, and see. It's only 9.21 in the morning at the time that we're recording this, so donuts sound good. Thank you for the idea. Yes, they do. Thank you for the idea, Dave. <laughs> I'm Joel Hoover. I'm Dave Brooks. And we will see you at the movies.